Uh, I think that is it for announcements. We're going to be in Matthew 6 this morning, Matthew 6. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Matthew 6. Uh, and as you're turning there, I'd like to uh, acknowledge and thank today is our members meeting and our members meeting day. One of the cool, fun things we get to do on members meeting days uh, is welcome people into membership, is people join uh, our membership, join our community. And so uh, today we have, uh, we're installing three new people as members. Um, Ryan and Sarah Christensen and John Hessler are all joining us in membership. Um, Ryan and Sarah actually just moved, and so they are getting themselves situated. John, uh, you know John, if, if you don't know John, everyone can turn around, everyone in the room can turn around and wave at John. Uh, he's in the back. Um, everybody online, the, the fact that you can hear my voice and you can see our stage is because John has been working tirelessly to learn the system to make live streaming happen, has built a, uh, put together a whole checklist on how to make that run and is kind of overseeing our whole audiovisual team in the back. So uh, thank you, John, for everything. Thank you, Ryan and Sarah, for uh, joining our committee. Anytime people join our church as members, as commit themselves to being here, uh, to giving their time, their talents, their uh, their finances to serve and love and be part of this community. It is always a great humbling experience uh, and, a, and a wonderful thing. If you are interested in joining us in membership, uh, again, you can use those connect cards and we will be doing a membership class probably in the fall. You can get some more information about that and join us. We'd love for you to do so. Um, okay, Matthew 6 is where we will be this morning. We are in a series looking at the Lord's Prayer. Uh, the importance of prayer is what really what we have been talking about, the importance of the words that we use. But not only the words that we use, but also the importance of prayer and the rhythm and routine of being invested in prayer, of cultivating a deep and robust prayer life. It is essential for growth and maturity to take root in the Christian life, to have a prayer life that is deep and robust. Pastor Alistair Begg says that prayer is the key expression of the fact that a person has a living, personal relationship with God. Because it is in that, in our prayer life, in our ability to go to God, it is in our prayer life that we identify as the children of God. And we step into that role as we go to him personally, intimately, with our needs, our concerns, our hopes, our joys, our fears, our worries, our doubts, all of those things. And in that, when we go to the Father through that way, we are reminded of our identity as the children of God. And Satan knows this. And that's why he attacks us in our prayer life. This is not a shocking revelation, but sometimes it's hard to be consistent in prayer, to be really focused in prayer. And Satan wants it that way because he knows the power of our Father. And he knows the care of our Father toward his children and the desire of our Father to lavish his grace and blessing and love and mercy upon us. And it's in prayer that we experience those things and we engage with our Heavenly Father in an intimate and real way. And that relationship, that interaction can shake the very ground that we stand on and can change not only our own lives, but the lives of people around us. And so Satan will work to get us distracted, to get us thinking about to-do lists and work items and the score of the game and what's for dinner and man, my foot itches and I just can't focus in prayer. He will get us to think about anything and everything to get us not fully engaged, fully embracing this awesome gift and powerful gift that we are given in prayer. 
Find your time. Make your time. Spend your time in prayer because I promise you it will do nothing but benefit you if you can commit to being continuously in a relationship with the Father through prayer. It's why the words we say are so important. Why we need to be intentional with the words we say. And even here in the Lord's Prayer, for some of us, you grew up and you know the Lord's Prayer backwards and forwards. You can recite it in six seconds. But just because you can say the words doesn't mean you actually believe them or actually want them to be heard or answered. Which in itself is a whole other trap that Satan leaves for us. Because he convinces us that we're further along, we're more mature, we have a deeper prayer life than we actually do because I know the words, I know the language, I know when to say it and how to say it. I have a prayer life, it's fine. We said at the beginning of this series that you can use the Lord's Prayer. It can be used as kind of a guide to sort of influence your own prayer life, or you can just pray the Lord's Prayer word for word. Using these words are great, but if you use them, if we pray this prayer, understand what you are actually saying and actually praying. Because what we have discovered, if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, is that this prayer, this prayer that is found on coffee mugs and on posters in truck stops, It is heavy and weighty and life-changing. And so this morning, we are going to be looking at the second of the earthly requests found in the Lord's Prayer. Last week, we looked at, give us this day our daily bread. And I don't think we should minimize or ignore that we are going right from daily bread to forgiveness. We go from the physical need of sustenance and provision to survive and thrive to our spiritual need for forgiveness that God can provide for us to survive and thrive because God cares about both. You are both body and soul and he cares about all that you are. And so today, last week we talked about daily bread. We talked about our desperate need, our daily need for God to provide for us, for God to get us through the day. And so today we are going to talk about our desperate need for forgiveness, the spiritual need of forgiveness and how vital it is for us to get through the day. That's where we're going today. I'm going to pray, and then we will jump in. So please buy your heads uh, and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today, and we thank you for the sunshine. For, we thank you for the change of seasons, that we live in a place in a city where we get to experience all of the different seasons, and we see the intimate details that you have put into your creation and how all things work together and how the seasons change and that shows your power and your control over things. God, we thank you for opportunities like this to gather in person and online, for the advancements in technology to make that a reality, for the ability for us to to gather and with one voice, even if it's not in the same building, with one voice lifted up in prayer, lifted up in worship, lifted up and, and worship you, celebrate you, adore you, enjoy you. But God, I realize that as we are a community of individuals, every one of us had a different kind of week. Some of us come to this morning tired and beaten and broken, and it's just enough that we're wearing pants and we're awake. Some of us had a great week. Some of us are thriving. Some of us are just living our best life. And then there's some of us that are just stuck in the middle somewhere between those things. God, whatever it is that we are, whatever baggage, whatever distractions, whatever things that we're bringing to you this morning, God, help us to hear from you. Help us to let those things, put, sit them down for even just a few minutes to hear from you, to hear from your living and active word. 
Because you told us that if we come seeking, if we come knocking, if we come asking, you will show up. You will reveal yourself. That's why you gave us your word, so that you would reveal yourself to us, so that we would be encouraged, so that we would be challenged, we would be rebuked, we would be edified, we would be um, encouraged. And so, Lord, whatever it is that you have for us this morning, whatever it is that you need to say to us this morning, God, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Give us minds to understand. Give us hearts to believe. Give us hands and feet to respond to what you have for us this morning. We thank you and we pray all things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. I'm going to be in Matthew 6, starting in verse uh, 7 this morning. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Your Father knows what you need before you ask him. He knows the needs we have. And last week we talked about the need of provision, of physical sustenance, of food, of clothing, of these things that we need in order to survive, in order to get through each day. We also have a spiritual need, the need for forgiveness. Now, some of us, if if you grew up in church or any form of church, you might have this prayer memorized, and you might have it memorized in a bunch of different ways. You might have, uh, instead of forgive us our debts, you might know it as uh, forgive us our sins or forgive us our trespasses, or it might be debts, depending on where you were, who taught you how to to memorize this prayer. There's a couple of different variations, and then translations also play into that. So what's the difference? What's the right one? What are we supposed to actually say here? This one here in Matthew 6, it says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Jesus is using a financial word, literally being in debt, owing, some, owing someone money, owing someone something. It's, why most of the, it's where most of the servant community came from at that time was one person being financially indebted to another. And so he talk, he's using a financial element to speak to the people in a way that they would understand. In Luke 11's version of this prayer, it says, Forgive us our sins, for we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. He mixes the two, the idea of sin and being in debt, and he mixes those things together. And we're going to talk about that this morning. Forgive us our sins, for we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Do you? That's the big question for this morning. If you are forgiven, do you forgive? All of these different words, whatever, however it is you have it memorized or, or know it, they all have basically the same idea. We have missed the mark. We have done something that we were not supposed to do. We have trespassed. To trespass is to go somewhere you do not belong that does not belong to you. You've gone somewhere and done something you are not supposed to. That is Sin. Literally, the word for sin means to miss the mark, to take aim at something and miss. It's coming up on golf season, and I'm hoping to play a little bit this summer. I'm sure I will do a lot of aiming and missing. 
My dad is very eager to get me out and play this summer. I don't know if I'm actually going to play with him, and I'm going to say it because I got him on a live stream. Uh, the last time I played golf, I beat my dad. I've only beaten him twice in my life. Both were two of the worst rounds he's ever played. I beat him those two times. So I might not play this summer. I might just retire on the high note right off into the sunset. Um, but I'm hoping to go and play. But when I play, I don't play often, and so I'm going to miss the mark. I'm going to miss over and over again. Forgive us our debts, because we also have forgiven our debtors. We are indebted because of sin. There is a debt we owe due to our sin, and that debt is our life. Because to sin is to miss the mark of perfection, which God is and has established as his expectation. Be holy as I am holy. When you miss the mark that God has established, you are doing the opposite of what God wants. Therefore, you are putting yourself at odds, at war, in rebellion against God. He has told us to do one thing. We choose to do the other thing because we know better, because we're smarter, better, and stronger than God could ever be, and he doesn't know my life. And when we do that, we are in sin, and we have put ourselves as enemies against God. What Jesus is trying to communicate here is that financial element of these words, this idea of debt and debt being paid. Bible gives us these ideas and uses them in relation to sin throughout the Bible. We, basically, the Bible will tell us over and over again, we were stuck, we were frozen, we were in debt, we were buried under the bills, as it were. Places like Colossians 2, 13 and 14, Romans 6, 23, 1 John 2, over and over, we see this idea of being in debt because of our sin. But Jesus speaks of a forgiveness of that debt, a cleansing of that debt, a reversal, a removal, a deletion of that debt, a forgiveness. So whatever word you want to use here, if it's debt or trespass or sin, whatever it is, however you haven't memorized, the concept is the same. Due to our inactions and our actions, our sins of commission and sins of omission, the times where we know the right thing to do and we choose to do the wrong thing anyway, that's the sin of commission, or the sin of omission, where we know the right thing to do and we just don't act at all, that's also sin. In those two places, we find ourselves in rebellion against God. We are in trouble. We have crossed the line. We have put ourselves in debt into a place where we need help, where we need forgiveness. So what is forgiveness? It is not a feeling it is not merely sweeping something under the rug or ignoring a problem or ignoring a situation. It does not mean that there are no consequences to our actions. Just because I, the way sometimes I clean, if somebody comes to my house and I'm, I'm cleaning real quick, uh, I'll take something that's in the middle of the room and I'll just like put it in the corner of the room. That's not clean, it's just out of the way. right? That, like eventually that thing still has to get clean, that thing has to go where it's actually supposed to go. Just because you put it to the side doesn't make something clean, doesn't mean you still don't have to deal with it. See, forgiveness means this thing, this situation, this issue between us, it's gone. I'm not going to bring it up to you. I'm not bringing it up to somebody else. I'm not bringing it up anymore. This thing is done and gone. We don't talk about it. We don't dwell on it. We don't deal with it anymore. It's done. It's in the past. It's in the garbage. It's been deleted forever, wiped out, done. See, there's heavy language in the Lord's Prayer. It says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
And we hear that, and I, I don't think what Jesus is saying here, I don't think he's, saying, he's talking about the forgiveness that comes with salvation. Okay, we're going to talk about two kinds of forgiveness today. We're going to talk about eternal forgiveness and then daily forgiveness. All right, and I want to make a distinction between these two things. And I don't think he's talking about eternal forgiveness here because right at the end of the verse, that's why I read 14 and 15 this morning, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. If we're talking about salvation here, if you walk that out to its nth degree, it would be, okay, if I don't forgive others, God's not going to forgive me, then really I'm not saved, I'm condemned to hell. But I thought I was saved. I prayed the prayer, I put my faith in Jesus and his life, death, burial, and resurrection, but I'm struggling with forgiveness, and so did I just lose my salvation? No, you can't lose your salvation. Also with that way of thinking, with this idea of if I forgive, God has to forgive me. If I don't forgive, God has to not forgive me. Really puts the power into our hands, doesn't it? Right? It makes, it makes it so that God has to just respond to whatever it is that we have to say. God is all-powerful. He is not indebted to us in any way. He is not beholden to us in any way. So then what are we talking about? What is Jesus talking about here? As I said, there's eternal forgiveness and there's daily forgiveness. Eternal forgiveness is the one where our relationship, our standing with God is the one where we see played out in Ephesians 2. You don't have to turn there, but I'll read it for you. In Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul says we were stuck, we were lost, we were dead. But verse 4 of Ephesians 2 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love of which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Because of Jesus, we are forgiven. By grace through faith in Jesus Christ and his life, death, burial, and resurrection, that's where we find eternal forgiveness. That's where we find the wiping of our slate clean, where we are welcomed into the family of God, where we are welcomed in as the daughters and sons of God, where Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice for our sins, where that debt that was due because of our sin, that life that was owed, was paid for, was given up by Jesus at the cross, and it was marked received and paid in full in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The church word for this is that Jesus became our propitiation. That word gets used a couple of times in 1 John. In 1 John 4 it says, In this the love of God has made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, 
we also ought to love one another. Propitiation, that's a real good Scrabble word for you. Simply put, this word means appeasement, to satisfy. Scripture says he is the propitiation for our sins. He has appeased something in relation to our sin. He has satisfied something. He is the appeasement of the wrath of God that our sins have earned. And while God is love, yes and amen, he is also just, he is also righteous, he also does have a wrath towards sin. And these things are not at war with one another because sin must be dealt with. If God just said, you know what, you sinned, you rebelled against me, it's not a big deal, we'll just sweep it under the rug, we'll stick it in the corner, it's fine. That's not a holy and loving God. Because it's still there. It's still got to get dealt with. It's still got to clean, get cleaned up. If our sin doesn't have a payment to it, eventually we have to pay that sin, pay that debt. Eventually we will have to experience that wrath of God. Somebody's got to pay the penalty for it. The bill is due and it's got to get paid. The perfect, holy, loving, and just God demands perfect and complete justice to be carried out. Justice and love go hand in hand. It is what makes justice just and fair and right. Jesus fulfills the need for justice, the need for sin to be punished by going to the cross and dying for us. Jesus becomes the propitiation, the one who appeases the wrath of God so that we don't have to experience it. So instead of experiencing wrath and death, we experience forgiveness and life. So that anyone who would put their faith in Jesus would find new life, would find forgiveness, forgiveness for your sins, the slate being cleaned, the debt being paid, forgiveness being found. It means God is wiping away your sins. It means he's not bringing it up. He's not dwelling on it. He's not holding on to it and saying, man, something else is going to trip him up and then I'm going to get him with this thing that I have been holding on to for years and years. No, your sins have been forgiven. They're done when it comes to you and God. In Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son, the son goes off and he squanders his inheritance. He has insulted and embarrassed his father. And he comes back home looking to be hired as just a servant in his father's house. He wants to work off his debt. He has a whole speech laid out that he repeats over and over again as he's walking back home about how he's not worthy to be considered a son, how he's not worthy to be part of the family anymore, how he just wants to work and he's sorry. But when the father sees him, the father runs to him and throws his arms around him. And he's got a speech of his own because he doesn't want to hear, the son doesn't even get through his whole speech. The father shuts it down and instead says, get a robe for my son, get a ring for my son, kill the fatted calf, let's party because my son has come home. Forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't give time to the things of the past that have already been forgiven. It's done. It's over. The forgiveness of our souls is the primary need that we have. Jesus shows us this in Luke 5, where you have Jesus in a house and he's healing all kinds of people and he's teaching. And the house is so crowded, nobody can get in. And a couple of friends, they get their buddy who's paralytic, he can't walk, and they take him up to the roof, and they cut a hole in the roof, and they lower him down. What was that conversation like? They lower him down to Jesus. And before Jesus tells the man, get up, take your mat, walk home, he says, your sins are forgiven. Why? Because Jesus knows 
that while we have physical needs, our greatest need is our spiritual separation and eternal judgment that we are under due to our sin. That's got to get dealt with. We need our sins to be forgiven. God cares about our physical. Yes, Jesus heals the man, and he walks away, but he cares about our spiritual health too. There's an eternal forgiveness that we need to have happen in our lives because there is a longing within every one of us. Because we are made in the image and likeness of God, because you have in you, whether or not you are a Christian, you have in you this desire to know your maker, to know your creator, to be in right relationship with the one who made you and knows you and loves you. Because you have within you what they call the imago Dei, the image of God. The image and likeness of God is built into you. And so there is a longing in you, whether or not you understand it, whether or not you listen to it, whether or not it drives you, or you have numbed that voice by your sin and evil and wickedness. There is a part of you that longs to be in a relationship with the creator who made you. And the only way that can happen is for your sins to be forgiven, for forgiveness through faith in Jesus, the relationship that you so desperately long for, that you so desperately need, can only come by grace through faith in Jesus. It can only happen when sins are forgiven. It's why the gospel is so important. It's why so many around the world for generations have been committed to this notion of the good news going forward because God came to die for our sins because it changes everything. Because the gospel takes us from dead and stuck and trapped and helpless and hopeless and it frees us. It brings us to life. It gives us a hope and a future and an identity. Everything changes in here and now and in eternal standing with God. Everything changes because of the forgiveness being given to us by God through Jesus at the cross. And it is only once you have experienced once you have known it, felt it, tasted it, lived it, this kind of forgiveness that we in turn can go and do likewise. It unlocks this ability within us. It frees us from having to carry around our rage and anger and hate because you weren't made to carry those things. Those aren't for you. Those aren't life-giving. They don't build you up. All they do is weigh you down. But when we have experienced forgiveness from the Father and can in turn be a person who forgives others, that's where life change happens. But I said there's two types of forgiveness, right? In Jesus' mind as we pray this prayer, there's big eternal forgiveness that changes our very relationship with God, but then there's also the daily forgiveness that is needed. I think forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And Jesus' addendum in verse 14, I think he's talking about our daily need for forgiveness. Because yes, if you are a Christian, your sins are forgiven. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you are forgiven, you are washed white as snow, you are clean, cleansed, all of those church phrases that we use and sing about. But we're not perfect. We're not sinless. And while we are no longer ruled by sin as Christians, we still continue to sin. There is a need to pursue the daily forgiveness, the daily confession of our sins, the daily regular habitual forgiveness of our sins, the acknowledgement of our wrongs, the acknowledgement, acknowledgement of the pain that we have caused, the acknowledgement of the sins that we commit on a regular daily basis. That's why it's in the prayer. Right? Jesus is not teaching his disciples, here, pray this prayer one time and then you're good to go. No, he's saying when you pray, come back to this regularly. 
Pray this regularly. Pray and ask for forgiveness regularly. Why? Because while sin cannot destroy or eradicate your relationship with God, if your faith is in Jesus, it can do damage to it. My wife and I love each other deeply. If I do something to hurt her feelings, I know because of the way that she loves me, I know she's not going to get up and leave and divorce me and end our marriage because I hurt her feelings. It's not going to destroy everything, but it will do damage to our relationship. It will put friction there. It will put a little bit of distance there. And so I need to humble myself and apologize for what I have done to keep our relationship strong. If you are a child of God, you can't lose your salvation. But you can do damage to the relationship with God if you are not careful to pursue regularly coming to him seeking forgiveness. These words from Jesus in verse 14 and 15 are massive. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. To get an understanding of this, we need a little bit more explanation, Jesus. What is it you're talking about here? And luckily, the master teacher, Jesus himself, gives us that. If you're in Matthew 6, I want you to flip over. Keep your finger in 6. We'll come back to it. Flip over to go to Matthew 18. We're not going to read the whole passage. If you're looking for something to study this week, I mean, Gospels are always good. Uh, Matthew 18, as we're talking about forgiveness and temptation and sin, great thing to study this week. Peter comes up to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, Lord, how often do I have to forgive my brother when he sins against me? How often do I have to forgive him? Seven times, 70 times, what, what, how often? What's the number, Jesus? And Jesus tells him, you need to forgive your brother 70 times, seven times. What Jesus was not saying was, you forgive 490 times, but on 491, you hold that grudge. No. Jesus is saying, you just forgive, Peter. If you are one of my father's children, if you are one of my followers, Peter, you forgive. That's just what you do. That's who you are. He tells a parable right after this of a king settling his accounts with his servants who owe him financially. One of the servants owes him 10,000 talents. Basically, in today's money, that's like 10 bajillion dollars, right? It's an unpayable amount. The king is going to sell the servant and his family to try and recoup some of the money owed because he's never going to see all that is owed to him. The servant begs and pleads for grace and mercy. He begs and pleads and says, give me more time. I will get you paid, I promise. And the master has compassion on him. And he ends up forgiving the entire debt and wiping it clean. Now this same forgiven servant, someone else owes him, let's say, 20 bucks. The person who owes him that money, he comes to collect it, and the person who owes him that $20 begs and pleads and asks for grace and mercy and says, give me more time, I promise I will pay you. And the forgiven servant instead chokes the man and then has him thrown in jail. Word gets back to the king, to the master, about how this played out. And in verse 32 of chapter 18 of Matthew, the master, the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And you, should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do so to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Your salvation 
is not dependent on whether or not you forgive somebody who is hurting you. You can't lose your salvation. I want to just hit that drum over and over again. What I think is clear from places like this is that if you are truly forgiven, if you have put your faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, if you stand on the solid rock that is Jesus Christ for your forgiveness, if that's where you've put your hope and trust and faith, then practically speaking, one of the ways that should play out in your life is that you should be a person who forgives. The forgiven should forgive. If you don't, if you have put your faith in Christ, but you still withhold forgiveness from others. This person hurt me too bad, I can't forgive them. The Heavenly Father, who is compassionate and loving and just and righteous and wants what is best for you, will do what needs to be done to see you grow. He will discipline the children that he loves. And let me tell you, if you are a Christian, God loves you. You are a child of God and you are loved. And so if you are a Christian withholding forgiveness from someone else, I promise there will be consequences to that. There will be consequences for your lack of forgiveness. Because we are called to forgive as Christ forgave us. One more passage for you, Ephesians 4.30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by God whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Grieve means to make sad. How do we do that? Basically, when we ignore, when we live in conflict with the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it grieves him. You, Christian, have the Holy Spirit in you, guiding you, shaping you, changing you, convicting you. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by ignoring him. We are to forgive others as God forgave us in the same way that we experience the eternal forgiveness where our debts have been wiped away, where they are gone, where the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 8 says that God says, I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. God chooses to forget our sins when we put our faith in Christ. God says, I'm just going to let that one go. I'm just not even going to think of it anymore. So when you come to prayer and you say, God, for the eight billionth time I've sinned in the same way, God comes and says, I don't remember 7,999,999, whatever that number is. I don't remember those because they're gone. I put them away. I chose to forget those, to eliminate them, to make them no longer part of the conversation between us. It has nothing to do with you and me. As David writes in Psalm 103, 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions. That's how far your sins have been removed from you in the eyes of God through faith in Christ. You have accepted and received immense forgiveness. Forgiveness that you could not earn, you could not work for, you did not deserve. But in faith, in grace, in Christ, you have received forgiveness. So then if you are one who has been forgiven, you are to be one who forgives. And if you're not, if you refuse, if you are not a person who forgives, let me ask you, are you actually saved or are you just playing the part? You just show up and no one to raise your hands, no one to pray, no one to say the right words the right way to the right person. That's your litmus test for whether or not you're a Christian. Are you one who actually forgives? Have you actually accepted Christ? 
Have you actually accepted? Have you actually confessed your sins and given them to God? Have you spoken with God and declared, I want you to be the king of my life. I want your kingdom to come in my life. I want your will to be done in my life. I want my life, this existence here, to be on earth as it is in heaven. God, I commit, I submit that I have made you king and I follow your rule, your lead. I understand there are no checks and balances. Your way goes in all aspects of my life. I give all of it to you. Have you actually done that and are you actually living in light of that? And look, this is not an overnight thing, right? You don't one day just, you're not a person who doesn't forgive, who doesn't love, who doesn't show grace to anyone and then magically the next day you're forgiving everyone, you're showing grace to everyone. No, forgiveness is not a feeling, forgiveness is a choice. It is a daily choice. It is a moment-by-moment choice. God has forgiven you, so show forgiveness. He continues to forgive you, so continue to forgive and continue to seek after the God who made you and knows you and loves you. There are no yeah buts when it comes to this. And I look, I understand every situation is different, and I don't want, in, in no way am I trying to minimize or trivialize your pain or your hurt or the abuses that you may have experienced. Your pain is real, your hurt is real. But forgiving someone of the debt for the hurt they have committed against you does not make you weak, it does not hurt you, it does not cost you anything other than it will cost you the weight of having to carry around the burden of holding on to that hate and anger and pain. It will relieve that burden. It will lift it from you. Forgiveness does not mean you have to be buddy-buddy, chummy-chummy with every person who has ever offended you. Instead, forgiveness means you let go of those things. You remove them as far as the east is from the west, even within your own soul. You remove those things, you remove those pains, you remove those angers and frustrations. They are gone. They no longer have power over you or control over you. Instead, where you held on to those things, you can find rest and life and freedom. But you see, all of this starts with being forgiven by God first. It is so important finding that forgiveness in Christ really is because it opens the door. It welcomes us into this whole new area where we can let go of pain and suffering and hurt that we've been carrying around. Because a forgiven person, a forgiving person, a person who regularly forgives, look, it's not, it's not easy. It's not normal. It's why we got to pray. It's why we got to go to the Father and ask for his forgiveness to help remind us of our need and to keep us focused on him and pursuing him and devoted on him and be resting in him and his word and his call and his lead. And that lead will lead us into being forgiving people. He will lead us to be the kind of people who forgive the trespasses, the debts, and the sins that have been committed against us. Not because the other person earned it or deserved it or won it, but because at one point we didn't earn it, we didn't deserve it, we didn't win it, but we found grace and mercy and forgiveness from the God of all existence. We are to be the lights of the world that point others to God, and one of the ways that we can do that is by showing the world our God forgives by being people who forgive others their debts, their trespasses, and sins against us. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, you are good. You're good all the time. You make lots of promises. And you keep all of your promises. And you promise us that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all of our righteousness. You promised us that you would send one who would go to war with Satan and sin and hell and death and the grave, and you did in sending your son to die for us. And in him doing that, you gave us the chance to be forgiven. Lord, we love that, and we rejoice in that, and we celebrate that. But you also call us to be people who forgive, and God, it's hard. It's so much easier to hold on to the hate and the rage and the anger and the bitterness to justify our actions, to justify our thoughts and feelings. God, we did not deserve, we did not earn the forgiveness we found through grace, through faith in Jesus. Remind us of that every day. Don't ever let us lose sight of that. Don't let us ever forget those things because we need to be reminded of that. Because we are forgiven and so we can forgive. God, help us to forgive. Help us to truly forgive, to truly let those things go, to truly remove them from within ourselves. God, that's a, that's a hard thing. And we need you. We need you to help us make that happen. God, help us to be forgiving people. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who hears this, who does not know you, who has not tasted your forgiveness, who does not know what the forgiveness from the Father feels like, looks like, God, I pray that right now in this moment they would put down whatever walls, whatever barriers they have put up to being forgiven by you and accept the gift of grace and mercy that is found through putting their faith in Jesus. That they would acknowledge their sin, that they would confess their sin, and they would put their faith in Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins so that they might experience, taste, and see how good it is to know that you are forgiven and step into this role that you have given us to be the lights of the world, to call others to you by being a people who forgives. God, we thank you for forgiveness. We ask that you would help us be forgiving people. We pray these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen.